0: hi there this is Ann Angela webb the animal intuitive i wanted to thank you for listening and wish you a very happy new year and also quickly mention that if you're interested in any of my services such as my animal communication and wellness plan which includes telepathic animal communication and a personalized pet care plan including acupressure points custom chosen for your pet please visit my website IntuitiveTouchAnimalCare.com, and there you can also access my free 90 minute animal communication course and/or meditation through Animal Intuitive Academy. Sign up for my mailing list so you get early access to special offers and updates like my soon-to-be-released children's book, which I am so excited to bring you. Also, if you are not listening to this episode on Spotify, you may have already heard this episode. That's because I've been uploading these episodes to one podcast channel, which shares it to the rest of them, but Spotify doesn't like the format I was using and I didn't realize they were not showing up on Spotify. So I apologize for any confusion and maybe you'll want to listen again. Also, if you would like to watch this episode or to check out my extensive video playlist, use the link in the description for the Animal Intuitive channel on YouTube all you walk I'm Hey there, welcome to the Animal Intuitive Channel, where we give animals a voice through animal communication, natural pet care, and interviews with experts in the fields of animal care and advocacy, as well as supporting the well-being of pet parents. I'm Ann angela Webb, and I'm here tonight with our guest, Dr. Katherine Competence, to discuss the effect of animals on diagnosed mental health issues and grief. Dr. Kompetis' research focuses on trauma studies, specifically within the human-animal bond. She holds a doctorate of social work, a master's in education, and she is a clinical assistant professor at NYU Silver School of Social Work, chair of the practice curriculum area, director of the school's animal-assisted interventions post-master's program, and she is a biopsychologist. She also has her own not-for-profit, and we'll talk more about that. Dr. Komponis is a Colombian-American licensed bilingual clinical social worker with a focus on the disproportionate systemic oppression of people of color. Dr. Komponis is the author of the Zuiya. I hope I'm saying that right, blog on psychologytoday.com where she discusses crisis intervention in the human-animal bond. And she is the author of the Human Animal Bond and Clinical Social Work as well as Animal House, a Clinician's Guide to Animal Hoarding. Welcome to the show, Dr. Competus.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. We're so happy to have you here. And just to say hello, people are popping into the chat. We have Mel Mac and Goodnight Owl. It's good to see you all here. Thank you. And if you are new to the show, please make sure you subscribe. We really appreciate it when you like this channel, too, and, and give us those likes because it helps the algorithm. It's annoying, but it does really help. So Dr. Competence, you certainly have an exceptionally rich background working within mental health and with animals. So please tell us how, just to start off, how you ended up with this focus. Sure. How many
1: days do we have? Uh, okay. <laughs> I always was an animal person. I was always very connected to the animals in my life. Grew up with cats and bunnies and guinea pigs and gerbils and um, and dogs and horses, and so animals were always a very important part of my life. And when I did my master's in social work, there really weren't opportunities in this field. So I went out of my way to find them and make them. And so, for example, I had an internship working in a hospital and I sought out their animal assisted therapy program. And I made sure I was involved and had a clinical spin to the work they were doing. So I really went out of my way to do it. And then a couple of years later, uh, my Labrador passed away. Her name was Morgan. And I have shared my life with many animals. but And I love them all madly. And it's always incredibly sad when somebody passes. But uh, this just hit me incredibly differently. It was very traumatic. She died suddenly from cancer mm. as a senior, but it was about a week from diagnosis mm. to her passing. Mm. And she, and I went through a very bad depression. And when I came out of it, I realized that. This was something that it's an incredibly powerful bond. And it really, we cannot afford to overlook the strength of this bond the amount of support people get and healing people get from the relationships with animals and with nature as well. It doesn't even have to be pets going outside or bird watching, for example, people enjoy. And so I decided to go back in. I worked for a while and everywhere I worked, I made sure that it became a part of my work and I went back into my doctorate. And that is what I focused on. And still at that point, it was a little new uh, and people misunderstood and they said, well, that's not psychotherapy it's not clinical work um and then they talked to me and they realized wow this is incredibly emotional it's incredibly psychological it's incredibly clinical so then i started work. i was working as an adjunct but i started working full-time at nyu and i founded their first class on the human animal bond which is not only packed each year but wait list there's a wait list and now we're starting this postmaster's program in animal assisted interventions because um it seems and the research shows this it's really fascinating that about 96 percent of mental health practitioners believe in animal assisted therapy however about 30 percent practice it but what's even more surprising is about 20 percent actually got training in it so there's actually 10 percent that are like making it up on their own which hopefully they are reading the books and doing it very intuitively, but there aren't a lot of programs that teach the therapy model. And so it, it was something that there's a lot of interest in and there's not a lot of resources. Yeah. So I decided I, I wanted to fix that. I saw a problem and, and I was like, I can do this. I I'm in educator. I'll fix this. Yeah. And
0: it's absolutely. And actually, unfortunately, that all happened after uh, NYU is my social work. I went for my master's at NYU. Unfortunately, that was after my time there. But I'm so happy to hear that that's going on there. And it was, I had a coworker who had her pug she worked with in our outpatient mental health clinic, trauma and abuse. And she was learning as she would go along because there really wasn't the resources. So it's so great to hear that NYU has has made this an official class and that there's a waiting list and you're doing this research. So tell me, obviously, I think anybody that comes on the show and I put this like teaser uh, description or title for it, do animals really help with you know, how people are doing with different issues, whether it's mental health things or stressors. And of course, the answer we all know is yes. I mean, anybody that's watching this show probably agrees with that. Um, But tell me more, if you could go into a little bit more in depth about animal assisted therapy for individuals with just various mental health conditions, maybe talk a little bit about what you've seen in your own work, some examples that you know, if, if you're able to. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So first I'll say that in terms of the research, uh, the jury is still out. There's not enough research for us to say definitively this technique, not the therapy model, but like each skill within the model. like This definitely works, and this is why it works. So we definitely need more research, we need to build that up. But you're right, anecdotally, we know it works. And there is plenty of research that shows some of the reasons why it works. For example, oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which bonds humans to or mothers to their babies, it bonds people that are falling in love. We find that it also we also have a raise in oxytocin when we see our pets and so they are family to us we have this strong emotional connection we feel good and what's even more interesting is that they also have a rise in oxytocin so they also feel good when they spend time with us and then there are other things that we know that Um, People recover faster from surgery when they are around a pet. People are less likely to have something like diabetes because they're more active with the pet around, more likely to quit smoking, things like that. In terms of specifically mental health treatment, we know that people who grow up Uh, with what we call a disorganized attachment style, meaning that their parents were. The fun way to put it is consistently inconsistent, right? Where the parents were sometimes supportive, sometimes just not supportive or scary, right? And the child didn't know what to expect they become very confused how to attach to others, to other humans. And with an animal, animals give us the perception at least of being non-judgmental and providing unconditional love. And so people can form that safe, secure attachment to animals and they can feel much more safer emotionally unstable and not afraid when they are in proximity to an animal. Then there are even just the physical aspects where, for example, I've worked with people who had PTSD. I don't know if people realize that some people with PTSD, especially women who have undergone a sexual assault, they sometimes sleep with their sneakers on so they can get ready to run if they need to because sleeping is very vulnerable, right? Or they sleep with the lights on so they can see somebody coming. I've seen people who have slept much more comfortably when they have a dog in the room because the dog will alert them if somebody is coming, so they don't have to worry about that. They can turn the lights off, right? The dark isn't scary anymore. Um, And then there are other things we do. So animal assisted therapy is not a stand alone model. So we always use it with something else like cognitive behavioral therapy or psychoanalysis or dialectical behavior therapy so we merge it with a different model and so the and then it's skill based so some of the things we do within that is for example i had a client once who just naturally noticed she said wow when i am freaking out and yelling She said, I noticed that Chompy, my therapy dog, um, moves farther away from me. But when I'm calm, he moves closer. And she said, I just realized that might be how people feel too. That when I'm freaking out, they'll move away. But that it also means, and that like we went further and discussed that it also means that people can move away and that doesn't mean they're gonna disappear from her life forever, Mm -hmm. right? Because for her, if they pull away, they're gonna totally abandon her, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, she realized they can't come back. It's sometimes easier for somebody to tell their trauma story to a therapy animal. So an animal in the room. So I worked with a teenage boy who had an extensive trauma history. And when we were talking about some of it, um, he doesn't want to tell a middle-aged woman some of the, the things that happened to him. It's embarrassing, right? But first off, petting Chompy it helped him calm himself it's that tactile stimulation like a little kid how they rub like a fuzzy blanket or stuffed animal right Mm -hmm. so he's petting him and then he whispers his story to Mm -hmm. chompy right and that was the first time he was able to say that out loud Mm -hmm. and of course chompy wasn't rejecting him because of what he said. So then he was able to turn to me and say it out loud to me. Mm -hmm. And so it made him incredibly comfortable. And just even going back, when a client first walks in the room, there is some prep work you have to do before you start. But when a client has that first session with the therapy animal, when They walk in the room and see how well you take care of the therapy animal. And the animal's welfare is our top priority. They're not forced to do anything. They're provided food and water and a bed to rest. They don't have to participate if they don't want to. so when the client walks in and they say how loved and cared for this animal is and that the animal trusts the therapist so deeply, the client can confer this therapist is going to take really good care of me because look at how well she takes care of this innocent being.
0: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so, and maybe tell us a little bit about how you begin to work with somebody As you go through the phases, like introducing them, like you just mentioned, like walk in, they see the animals there. I'm assuming they've already expressed an interest in working with an animal. And is there any particular training for the animal? That's two questions in one, but what is their role in the session? Yeah.
1: So there is training for the animals. So technically therapy animals don't have to be certified anywhere but I very much strongly encourage it. So organizations like Therapy Dogs International or Pet Partners, which used to be called the Delta Society, those are incredibly large organizations and they've been doing this a long time. So they have things like extra liability insurance just in case, not that anything would happen in case like the dog steps on somebody's foot by accident or something right like mm-hmm. and when they have training and they prepare the therapist to take care of both the therapy animal and the client in this role and to focus on animal welfare as well there's so many steps to this it's picking the appropriate animal i have four dogs and only one of them is really suited to therapy work. The other ones are lovely, they're great, I adore them. It's just not their temperament. Um, So they don't need much formal training, but when they go through an organization like Pet Partners, they do get evaluated. So they are taught things like, to not freak out if somebody drops their walker, for example, right? Because some people, older adults, might use a walker if they drop it, right? It's okay to jump a little, but if the dog starts barking at the person, it's going to make it all worse, right? So they get evaluated for basically their basic manners, sit, stay, come but also their ability to work in these slightly complicated situations, not quite stressful, but complicated walking through a crowd, for example, or having somebody reach out and pet them. And so they get evaluated for these things. And so they do need some basic training in that regard. The therapist needs, much more training, obviously. You need a mental health license. But then there is, and this is one of the problems, there are not a lot of training programs for therapists to learn how to effectively do animal-assisted therapy. So there's a growing body of work that provides things like competencies, how to effectively do animal-assisted therapy. And there's a new certifying body that came out recently um, that uh, through this extensive examination will certify people as an animal assisted specialist, animal assisted intervention specialist. So I very much suggest that people get involved. That said, People can do animal-assisted activities, which is informal therapy with their animals. Still, if you join somewhere like Pet Partners, they could send you to hospitals or schools so kids can read with your dog. So older adults, sometimes older adults that have dementia, they might not remember the names of their own kids, but they'll remember the name of the therapy dog that visits every week. Mm -hmm. So, You don't have to be a psychotherapist to be involved in animal-assisted activities.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we had this question. What age do they prefer to start working with dogs? Is there an age limit? So
1: for the handlers, I believe it's 16. Um, to start working with dogs or therapy animals. There are different types of therapy animals. There are therapy pigs, there are therapy llamas, bunnies, cats obviously. Some types of animals they tend not to have just for health reasons. They might, humans might pass illnesses onto these animals like usually mice or lizards they tend to not have usually they want somebody around and i believe it's 16 i would have to double check for the dog if it's a dog or a cat they want them to be at least one year old and they should have lived with the person for at least six months um, because you need to know a bit about the animal's personality but also you don't want For example, a puppy that is teething and not housebroken like pooping on somebody and then chewing their shoes, right? Like that's not very therapeutic. It might be cute, but not therapeutic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, and then when somebody, so I guess ahead of time when when we are talking about the formal setting therapy session, do you both do it at a distance as well as in person? And, um, what is the sort of process of working with somebody to work with the animal? How does the animal begin to get incorporated? Do you allow it to naturally come into play or? It's
1: so we can do it virtually since COVID there's been a move to do that. So it's usually a therapy animal, like I said, certified by one of these agencies, but for example, many of my clients have pets. And so we might reflect on the animal's behavior in a session, in a teletherapy session and say, oh, look, your cat is so relaxed right now, are there ways that you can relax when you are going through a difficult situation. What works for you? Like, how could you feel like that? So often we look to the animal to model desirable behavior. In terms of how it starts, it's a little bit individualized because we have to create treatment plans for each client. So. It would start off with the intake where you meet the client, we discuss what's going on and we ask them if they have any phobias, maybe they're afraid of dogs, right? Then it, it wouldn't work so well, unless they are there purposefully to get over the phobia of dogs, in which case that's a different technique, but that can work. But if they have a phobia, then that might not work. If they have bad allergies, that might not work, right? So you check, maybe they just don't want to do animal assisted therapy. So you do the intake and you ask, are you interested in this? Then you explain to them the process. So you say the animal is not forced to do anything like I told you before. And you have skills based, and then you develop this treatment plan based on the individual needs of the client. So for example, a veteran with PTSD who might struggle to be outside on their own you might actually have a session where you and the veteran and the therapy animal go outside for walks so that they're able to regulate i've also seen i i'm of mixed feelings about it because i don't like the idea of animals in captivity but i've seen things like uh swimming with sharks for war veterans because they start off on this high alert, they're terrified of everything. Something bad is going to happen to me at any moment. So they go into a tank with sharks and nothing bad happens and they start to relax. And then they learn just because something bad could happen doesn't mean it is happening. right? So it, it's a little individualized. It really depends on what the person needs. And you would talk to them about, like, any health issues, things like that, that. You, The animal has to be cleaned before. If you have to take a potty break in the middle of the session, if the animal does, like, you have to say, we have to pause the session, right? Like, I'm not going to make my animal suffer because we're in the middle of talking. Like, I'll be back. so. You explain the process to them, and then sometimes you develop a treatment plan together based on what the person wants to work on. Do they want to work on anxiety? Do they want to work on a a fear? Do they want to work on depression? So it can be very individualized.
0: And do you also use it in crisis intervention?
1: Absolutely. So there is animal-assisted crisis response teams. Chompy and I were... On one for a while. Fortunately, not fortunately, uh, we were never deployed, so we were never needed, which I'm glad we weren't needed. But they have deployed therapy animals to the Oklahoma City bombings, was the first time, to 9/11, to many of these school shootings, um, because people are in such a state of shock and confusion. And having a calm and loving animal there just is a way to remind them that some things are still safe and okay in the world. And it brings them back to this safe, grounded space. It helps ground them when they're feeling like so lost. And once they get grounded, then they can focus on taking steps like, okay, now I have to call my family and see if they're safe. But when they are totally freaking out, right, it's hard to think straight. Mm -hmm. So working with the animal or being around the animal, um, petting the animal, talking to the animal can sometimes help bring them back to that grounded space so they can return to taking the steps they need to do.
0: Okay, So interesting. And I hadn't heard of the shark work. That was a new one to me. That's (laughs) fascinating. So, I'm wondering, are you finding that? Are you seeing animal assisted therapy growing in not just, I guess I'm thinking about not like animals coming in with volunteers to settings, but rather are you seeing animal assisted therapy more in mainstream just mental health care, like inpatient hospital or an outpatient mental health clinic or?
1: Yeah, so I am starting to see a rise in outpatient mental health. Some places have uh, facility animals that technically belong to the agency, but they go home with somebody, and they end up mm-hmm. belonging to somebody. But and then a lot of it is people who are integrating their own animals into the work they do at an agency or or in private practice. So I am seeing that rise. And that's definitely very exciting. There's some places we still can't do it. Inpatient mental health facilities, it's actually too dangerous because there are too many people that are not in a stable enough place. So for example, psychiatric service dogs or any kind of service dogs. And service animals can only be a dog or a mini horse. I'm not sure if, and there are many horse service animals. They can go almost anywhere, really anywhere a person can go. But they really don't, they have found that it's really too dangerous for them to go very few places. But one of them is an inpatient psychiatric unit. Another one is the operating room. Mm-hmm. So they could be in the like recovery room with the person, but mm-hmm. it's potentially dangerous for the animal to be in the operating room. So, so the- there are some very few places that we don't do it. But yeah, I've definitely seen a rise and it's very exciting because this is not a like I said, we need more research, mm-hmm. but we've actually known since the sixteen hundreds. John Locke said that animals help children build a sense of empathy. Mm -hmm. So we've known this for a very long time, and people are just starting to really embrace it and get into it now, and I think it's fabulous because so many people are going to be helped and healed by this connection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't actually realize that you could have your Personal therapy animal in the recovery room. That's a no. A service thing. animal. A service animal. I mean, well, so, that's, I'm calling it yeah. the wrong thing. So maybe we should <laughs> clarify the two. Just All people right. like me who are not. I will clarify. Saying the right thing.
1: It's a longer story. The short version is a service animal helps one person with a disability. Complete their daily activities. So um, helps a deaf person hear the doorbell or hear the telephone, right? Helps somebody with PTSD go to the ATM without feeling like they're going to be attacked, right? They have to know. They have to be very well trained and have to know specific tasks does not matter what breed of animal, although it has to be a dog or many horse and they can be self-trained, although it can get complicated, but they, as long as they work with one person with a disability, do specific tasks. That's a service animal, a psychiatric service animal is a service animal that helps somebody with a psychiatric problem, PTSD, bipolar disorder. Other types of service animals could be um, mobility. The person trips and falls a lot. Maybe they have a big dog they lean on so that they don't fall and get hurt. Seizure alert dog, those kind of things, right? A therapy animal And like I said, it could be pig, llama, bunny, cat, so many different species. Those are animals that are not, that are a little trained, but good manners and have to have good temperament, slightly evaluated, that go and are there to support many people. So the therapy animal is not there to help the therapist, right? They're there to help the clients. So however many clients, five clients a day, whatever it is, right? Or going to a hospital, see multiple patients, or going to a school, work with multiple kids, right? So a therapy animal is there to support multiple people who don't necessarily have a disability at all
0: although maybe the argument could be made that it does help the
1: therapist. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Highly agree. Highly yeah. agree yeah. on that. Service animals can go legally. They're covered by the American with Disabilities Act. They can go anywhere a person can go. Therapy animals cannot. They can only go into those agencies where they are contracted. So the hospital will say, we want your therapy animal to come in. So then your therapy animal comes in. You can't just walk into a hospital with a pet, right? An emotional support animal is the one people get confused the most. It could be any species. It's basically a loving pet that is supposed to help one person again with a minor mental stressor, like anxiety, or maybe if you're flying, right? And they're really, they are not allowed to go into, I hate to break this to anybody. Don't hate me, it's just law. It's not me, I didn't do this. They are not allowed to go into movie theaters, restaurants, supermarkets. Anywhere a person goes, emotional support animals are not. They're not covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. They are allowed in housing where they don't normally allow pets. So if your landlord says, we don't allow pets, and you say, here's a letter from my, all you need is a letter from your doctor um, or your psychotherapist, you don't need any of these like online certificate, certify your pet, and you don't, you don't need it. You need a letter and you say here, and then they can't do anything. They're, they're allowed in housing where they don't normally allow pets, as long as they are, have basic manners. They're not pooping all over the house or whatever. Right. And sometimes in the cabin of an airplane. but that's it
0: really. Okay, yeah, it's good to get those clarifications. So do you see that changing at all? Do you see the emotional support animal coming into more arenas like the recovery room in a hospital or?
1: What I see is that many people don't know the definitions, including mental health professionals and doctors, and so what happens is it gets confused, and the lines get blurry. Now, the problem is when people, when people are not careful, right? So I believe, I think we should have dogs and cats in restaurants, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I think they belong everywhere, right? In the recovery room. And I do find that some hospitals are allowing regular pets in, in the recovery room because they know it heals them faster that said there is a problem when people say that their pet is a service animal and it is not because imagine you say this is the guide dog for the blind right and you take it into a restaurant and then this dog is stealing food off of people's tables and stuff yeah. right and then the uh The person gets met, the the restaurant owner gets met and says, you have to get out of here, right? And then the next person who comes with a legitimate service animal who they need to help them every day, that restaurant owner will say no, which is technically illegal and they could get sued, but you don't blame them because they don't want that horrible experience for their other customers, right? So what I find is that when we confuse the types, right, because you can have a wonderful emotional support animal that maybe likes sneaking a slice of pizza or something, right? Like, so when we blur the lines too much, the people who need it the most are the ones who get hurt unfortunately. So I do think there's a lot of confusion. And I think it would be nice if there was some way, some way to make it more public, the differences. But I'd also love to see the laws change where we can have animals in more places because they're our family. You, You don't leave your kid outside don't you don't leave your kid in the car while you go into the supermarket like you shouldn't have to leave your dog in the car right
0: so yeah. mm-hmm. well I know you had done a blog and maybe you co-blogged I'm not sure but about the lack of psychiatric support I don't know if it was a psychiatric emotional support or if it was a psychiatric service animal so if you could talk a little bit about that and why you were interested in talking about that. Is it something that there is legislation for? Is it something that people can advocate for? For and And what which would it need to fall into? Do you feel like it would need to fall into the actual service dog in order to be what it needs to be?
1: Um. Yeah, so this was, so I write most of the blog posts myself, but sometimes some of my students will uh, co-write one with me. This was co-written by one of my students who actually won an award for that post. And it's about, she has an actual, she has an actual disability. She has an actual service dog. Um, And she just wrote about, the challenges about having a service dog and about the lack of information and resources and support for people with service animals. I remember many years ago, I would go into places with people who had service animals and they would be asked to leave. And I would say, you can't do that, that violates a federal law. And they would say, well, we're going to call the cops and I would say, okay, call the cops because it's a federal law and we're right and you're wrong. Right. Um, but that's hard on somebody who already has some kind of condition that they're working with and to have people make it this huge fuss and stress them out more. I had a client with PTSD who tried to bring her service dog into CVS, And they told her she wasn't allowed to be in there. And she said, I have a vest. I have a letter like this is legit. And they told her to get out. So I, as her therapist, I I went in there and I yelled at them and then I called the national headquarters and I yelled at them and I said, your, your people need training. And then I went back with her, but she was hysterically crying because she said, I just wanted to buy toothpaste.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So, right. so it, it can be incredibly hard. So my student wrote about how wonderful and helpful it is to have the assistance of a therapy animal, how life changing it is because she's able to do things she never could have done before, but also how the world hasn't exactly caught up yet. Right.
0: Yeah, and there's actually a lot of kind of jokes about it, and people dismissing it and saying, and I'm sure, and of course, there are people who use it like we, like you were just talking about, and make it a problem for other people who really need it. But it is a shame that's happening. Oh, okay. So, Lynn, you have one. My dog is an emotional support dog, but not a service dog. Different rules. Yes.
1: Okay. Yep. Exactly. So, your emotional support dog. I'm sure is incredibly loving, but really can go the same places other dogs can go, but not unfortunately. If it was up to me, your dog could go into movie theaters and restaurants and supermarkets and anywhere you want your dog to go. Unfortunately, according to the law, an emotional support animal cannot do those things. It's only a service animal that supports a person. With a disability, a legal disability.
0: Okay. So that's something people maybe can get involved with and talk to their local politicians about or find out who is a strong advocate of these things. Um, Absolutely.
1: And the laws on the health and hygiene laws, no animals allowed in restaurants, for example, in the United States, are incredibly outdated. They can be changed. We absolutely can change them. And so I think that's one thing that would help, I think, if people are able. I mean, there's a pop-ups of places like cat cafes and... But the coffee part has to be kept separate from the cat part. Mm-hmm. There, There's a couple... I know a couple of coffee shops that allow dogs. But again, the coffee has to be here, the dogs have to be here, right? So. People are trying to find ways around that. I think if we just updated those laws, it would be so mm-hmm. much more convenient and pleasant for people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's our assignment after this, is to go out and find, or just reach out to our politicians and try to get people involved. There's probably, I would think there's already petitions. I think I feel like I've signed them myself, but I can't remember who in particular, who what politicians are behind these kinds of things. We actually had a wonderful experience, in we went down to Charleston, my husband and I, this summer, and of course we took the dogs, drove from. Of course, a little, a little I've nuts. done that.
1: I've done that. Savannah, I've done
0: that. <laughs> yeah, we even took. Well, th- th- it gets even funnier with the Savannah thing because we drove all the way to Charleston. It happened to be, we didn't know it was going to be, we planned it ahead, that this was going to be the hottest week of the summer this year. Uh. So (laughs) coming from New Jersey and we get down there, we couldn't go in anywhere. I mean, it was like the, but there was this one restaurant where we got there and we were like, can we sit in the back? And there was this wonderful man who was he'd actually worked with service dogs in the military, or I mean, he'd worked with canines in the military. He'd been involved in training and he was, I think he was the manager or co-owner of this restaurant. And now I can't think of the name of it. I would give him like a little shout out, but they let him, the, the man went crazy. He's like, Oh, he saw that our dog was a German shepherd, one of the two, and he loved them both, but he's like a German shepherd. And he Oh. walked us in past everybody <laughs> gave us a special area because our german shepherd is reactive to lights and things and so he put us in this special yeah. area we got this he brought him out special food he brought him bacon which i know i'm not talking about people want to eat but this is a dog and he brought him bacon so that's a little different but he he was wonderful that they did that and then actually with the savannah thing we were going to go to one of the plantations and go on a tour and we stepped out of the car And it was so hot. We were like, we can't walk these dogs around here. There's no way. So we were like, let's go to Savannah. So we just drove to Savannah for it, got out of the car, walked around, saw that, came out. But yeah, it's so nice when people are accepting animals. I mean, in other countries, they have more, not all other countries, but there's certain places where they do let animals in and it's not a big deal. And it really absolutely. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, you live in a my place ab- where restaurants do allow dogs. Where's that? Oh, that's nice. Where? Well, you're saying I. Oh, and you lived in England. Good night, owl. I didn't know that. That's something new we've learned about. Oh your... yeah, my um... husband
1: is British. My <laughs> husband's British, and you go in, and they're like, they're dogs in the and also in France, and France, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could go almost everywhere. Yeah, that's and it, awesome. it's so nice. We absolutely can do it here. Uh, yeah. We
0: just mm-hmm. don't. Right. We have to Um, make it happen. We we do. We do. Berlin
1: is really dog friendly. Like, there are a lot of places that, yeah, absolutely. So, but to be honest, and you could look this up because it's true, unfortunately, that the United States is actually pretty low on the list of countries in terms of animal welfare Mm -hmm. laws. It's very sad. Last time I checked, we were like number 59, I want to say. Wow. Um, I think we're right above Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and England and like Norway and those are all up there. And, Incredible. and it's so there definitely is a lot of potential for updating for progress in this country. Myrtle Beach is great for dogs. I took my dogs there. They okay. had so much fun.
0: That's the next place we'll drive to with our dogs. Uh, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> okay, so you had Contessa. Your German Shepherd was in England. Oh, okay. So they let the German Shepherds even in the restaurants in England. That's so cool. Aww. Wow, Shame we can't drive there. So, I mean, I'm sure that you have some amazing experiences. A body of experiences from all that you've done with the work you do, and I think you've even you talked a little bit in the beginning about some stories. But I'm just wondering how what has been some of the most rewarding aspects of the work that you do? Oh
1: yeah. So aside from the formal therapy and the teaching, I work a lot in crisis intervention. So helping people who are homeless with pets because there's no animal. Oh sorry, there are no homeless shelters that allow pets. So if you see somebody outside on the street with their dog, it's because they choose to be with their dog rather than to be warm in a shelter. Domestic violence, more than 50% of uh, domestic violence survivors will not leave the abusive situation uh, if they have to leave their pet behind. And 80% consider not leaving because they're worried about their pet. Um, uh, disasters, natural disasters or man-made disasters, right? Hurricane Katrina, people literally died because they would not evacuate without their pets. Um, Luckily, we've changed those laws, a lot of them. When Maria happened, Hurricane Maria, the more problems popped up that we weren't aware of, we hadn't planned for, but at least with Hurricane Katrina, where a lot of progress was made legally on helping people escape crisis situations. But one of the things that I am most proud of is recently, and I'm talking about last month, I guess it was, the New York City Director of Homeless Services announced that they were working on creating the first homeless shelter for people with pets. Oh, wow, that's great. That's and I've cool. been talking about it for like twenty years, so I'm like, oh, right? Fantastic. So, yeah. things like that. I mean, certainly helping individuals is amazing. I have my sanctuary where all the animals here are rescued, rescued off the street or adopted, and I've included them in therapy as well. And what is but, the name of
0: that? Before I forget, I want to make sure. Yes, you sorry,
1: say that. <laughs> Surrey Hills Sanctuary. Surrey with the S, because my husband's British. So Surrey Hill Sanctuary. I was wondering where the Surrey.
0: Now that makes sense. Now that you say your husband is, he is from,
1: from the county yeah. of Surrey. <laughs> Got so, it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, there's uh, the work that I've done with an in individual therapy definitely is incredibly rewarding, but some of the crisis intervention work is just unbelievable, because in some ways, by making these policy changes and changing the law, we are helping not one person at a time, but we are helping hundreds, thousands of people, right, Right. over long term. So in some ways that those are some of my proudest moments. And teaching my students, because a lot, these are social work students, and they take it because everybody thinks that I play with puppies for a living and like, and that would be great, but I don't, right? I do sometimes. I do sometimes. I me mean, not lie, but so they come in just curious about what is this? Oh, yeah, hmm. Richmond upon Thames, Surrey. My husband's from Worcester Park, and his friend is from Richmond, actually. So, exactly, it's right there. It's My right neighbors. there. It's where Wembley Stadium is. So, okay. that's what everybody knows. So, seeing these students come in, knowing nothing about how powerful the human animal bond is. I mean, for example, a good example is that studies actually show that people are significantly less likely to complete suicide if they have a pet because they worry about what's going to happen to their pet, Mm -hmm. right? So the healing power, the support we get from these animals is so powerful and so amazing so seeing these students come into my classroom really knowing like yeah i love my dog whatever right and then at the end of the semester leaving and saying wow there's so much i can do with this and then knowing that they're going to go out and make these changes it's it It just like i yeah. i'm almost gonna cry
0: <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> like it's, it's amazing And I'm so glad to see that it has expanded so much. And I'm wondering, too, how do you work with people? Because I know this is a component. When somebody has gone through a pet loss, we talk a little bit about that. Are you working with an animal of yours as a part of that at times? Or is it just depends on the part? Like, how how does that incorporate? How do you help somebody? You...
1: potentially you could do animal assisted therapy for pet loss. Usually you don't. So pet loss is what, and I do work a, a good amount in pet loss. I'll also throw it out there. I also work with veterinarians cause they have a five times higher suicide rate than the general population. So be nice to your vets, they're at high risk. Okay.
0: We just had a vet on last week who, I think she mentioned that during our... Yeah, they're attack, high risk. Yeah. It's
1: a tough job. It's a really tough job. Yeah. So with pet loss, it's still unfortunately what we call a disenfranchised loss. So meaning that it's not quite socially acceptable, right? We don't generally get time off from work when it's our pet crazy. passes. Right, it is crazy. I agree. Other types of disenfranchised losses are, for example, if somebody's ex- spouse, ex-husband, ex-wife dies, right? Mm -hmm. People might say, well, that's your ex. Why are you sad? Right? Well, you can still be sad about it, right? And a pet is just, no matter how close you are to them. I mean, I've had people say to me, well, it's just a dog. Get another one. (laughs) And I'm like, you are a horrible person. (laughs) And I feel bad for you, right? Like you clearly are missing this amazing, beautiful, powerful love in your life And I I think that's sad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, pet loss uh, therapy, it actually works best in groups. Um, And there are quite a few Zoom groups now since COVID. The Animal Medical Center does one, or the Animal Hospital does one. There are a bunch of places that do it now because and there are also amazing Facebook groups for pet loss support because it really helps to have other people there who are understanding, who are supportive, who you could say, this was my dog and I love them more than anybody in the world. And just want to stay in bed and cry all day. I don't know who I am. If I'm not with my dog, I don't go on walks anymore. I don't know what to do with my dog's toys. I don't want to throw them away, but I don't want to, Mm. why am I keeping them? And people who genuinely understand the pain you're going through, it's unbelievable. So when we do grief counseling, yeah, very validating, normalizes your feeling. And so when we do grief counseling for pet loss, we could do it individually, right, to support the person through the loss or in that group setting. And a lot of times we'll use, we'll do some kind of meaning making or memorials, make memorials, like write a letter to your pet on this piece of paper and then you all burn it in a candle or something or... Or we give them each flowers and we tell sometimes, Native American stories because the Native Americans were very close to the animal world, the natural world, right? And so we might use some of those stories to highlight the experience. And we try to relieve some of the grief because sometimes with pet loss, there's a lot of, oh, I should have taken them to the vet earlier and that kind of stuff, but you couldn't know. And grief is a normal part of any kind of significant loss. So just helping, supporting people through the, that incredibly difficult time is just so important.
0: Yeah, it's definitely needed more. It needs to be normalized. There's just no question about it. It's just awful what, that people are expected to just have your best friend and family member pass and then show up at work maybe some, some they'll let you take your PTO or whatever for a day or right. two, but then it becomes like, well, you don't need more than, well, no, you need just like any family member, the person needs what they need. If it's, if you give somebody a week or two for another family member, why can't they have that for what they consider to be the significant loss? Like it should be up to the person. It's Absolutely. It makes me sound great. I don't know. It really gets me.
1: Absolutely. It. And it's when a lot of times the loss of a pet is more like the loss of a child because right. there's a, a great book I love, The Pet Loss Companion Guide. And it's They even say in it like, as adults, we don't live with our parents anymore. We like talk to them maybe once a day or once a week, whatever you do, right? You see them like occasionally, but your pet, you're there. You're feeding them every day. You're brushing them. You're hugging them. You're taking them out. You're or changing the cat litter or whatever. So it's more like a child that you're caring for every day, and that that leaves such a void like what do I do now
0: right yep yep and just expect people to just move on it's crazy I don't know I don't get it (laughs) I don't get it either I don't how how we're still there um so well this has been absolutely so helpful. I'm wondering if we missed anything that you think is important, such as one thing I did want to mention is what advice do you give to people in the mental health field who would like to incorporate animal assisted therapy into their work? Absolutely.
1: I would say do your research. Try and find uh, any resources you can. There's some amazing books on how to do animal assisted therapy. Try and find training programs if there are any that you could do online or near you, look at the certification exam. They have a study guide and it, it's incredibly satisfying. It works. It's very powerful and I do highly recommend it. And if you do want to go into it, definitely, like I said, not legally required, but I highly recommend pairing with a therapy animal organization like pet partners or therapy dogs international they'll walk you through a lot of these steps okay. so it's incredibly helpful
0: and the post, the postgraduate program at NYU is that open to anybody who wants to apply to it and take it currently mental
1: health professionals uh, it's starting it's launching next fall so fall 2024 we've been building it Nothing, nothing moves that fast at a university. <laughs> so we've been building and it. it's launching twenty fall
0: 2024. Is it virtual? Y- or do you, do you have to be in the city? It's currently in
1: person. It's currently okay. in person. We, you know, we've been going back and forth about making it virtual because we do want to make it more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. So that certainly might be a future option, maybe, or maybe a hybrid model. Some people zoom in, some people do it in person. So we're not sure yet, but the the whole purpose is to entirely prepare mental health professionals to work with this treatment model. And there there are other veterinary social work programs around the country. Not a lot, but there are a few here and there, but none that are this focused on. Animal assisted interventions as a treatment model
0: for mental health treatment. So we're very excited. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Also, (laughs) excuse me, I think we failed to ask you how you got the Surrey Hills Animal Sanctuary started. I think there's a little story. Um
1: so how did I trying to think how I start it? Oh, I think I started People knew I was interested in this field and just started bringing me animals. Uh, Mm -hmm. Please don't bring me animals. Don't bring me anymore. (laughs) I I am full up. I am full, please call your local animal rescue. I have to say it every time and still I'll get emails. So this was like 12 years ago or something. Neighbors were like, oh, you love squirrels. Here's a squirrel. You love birds, here's a bird, right? And so we were like, whoa. Uh, And then we moved upstate, and somebody gave us a baby pig, and then somebody gave Mm -hmm. us a baby cow, and then, and it grew from there. He's, I have my bunnies over there, one of my dogs, and then I have my office quail. He's quiet at the moment. Oh, wow. They don't live very long, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we had a flock of quail that were rescued. That a friend of mine. I don't generally take animals from the public, just from other rescue groups that I work with, because I'm not a I'm not a rescue group, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm a sanctuary. I'm more of an educational yeah. center, right? It sounds like you have a lot going on anyway. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, tired. I'm tired. I'm <laughs> tired. I can't, I just don't sleep. So, but he is the last one because they don't live very long. And so I keep him with me in my office Aww. and he, I put a mirror in there and he, he flirts with the mirror. It's so cute. It's adorable. <laughs> so. cute.
0: And through that you were able to help somebody too with their dog, right? The story about the man who needed help with his dog, with the, the water treadmill, I know the story. you don't remember how? <laughs> I read no, what's that? <laughs> it's in what's your her? it's in your information that there was a man that was having difficulty with paying for his dog's treatment. I think they had told him that. His oh dog could yeah, live if he had this treatment and he couldn't yeah. afford it. So
1: that was incredibly sad. It was a man with developmental disabilities, and he was okay. on public assistance. And i knew him that was a lot i yeah that's when it first started he was i knew him from the neighborhood and he had this dog that he, he was loved so much and the dog essentially had a stroke and it wasn't that old i think she was six at the time terry oh, was young. her name yeah. and uh she had a stroke and they said to him that she needs physical therapy and if you do the physical therapy for her she can possibly make a full recovery and he said well i'm on public assistance i can't afford any of that and so we got together and we fundraised and we got him the money and he took mm-hmm. her to treatment and she made a full recovery she was able That's to great. walk again and it was like she couldn't walk she couldn't walk. she had to wear a diaper she was in a mm-hmm. stroller Couldn't walk, and she was able to walk again. And it was—it was nobody should have to
0: make that decision. That is so wonderful that you were able to do that. Because I just—I feel nobody should ever have to make that decision based on money. It's absolutely heartbreaking when people are in that in a situation where they can't afford something that could help their animal. It's devastating. Um, I will say
1: that there is there are not a lot of places, but I will say that Frankie's friends is a group that does help some people who they help as much as they can. People pay for emergency medical bills for their pets if they are on limited income.
0: So okay. that's good um, to know. Frankie's friends. Yep. That's the name of that. Okay. So, well, this has been so helpful. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you or didn't mention that you feel like is important to
1: I mean, I, I could talk about this for yeah, forever. So, I mean. It's
0: so great. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Well, we, we are so grateful for you to take the time. It does sound like you are incredibly busy with everything that you're doing. So, we do appreciate it. And make sure to go and check out the Surrey Hill, well, the shsanctuary.org website take a look at that you can donate through that site or you could go directly to venmo but she do you know katherine also has on that site some paypal information if you like that and just check it out see what it's all about and thank you so much everybody stick around Catherine, before we we hang up <laughs> and everybody in the chat and thank you so much to mel mac for she's a wonderful mod that helps me out and i really do appreciate her thank you so much and everybody that takes the time to be here and everybody have a wonderful evening to you and your pets and god bless
1: thank you so much thank you
0: good night everybody love a nice massage and a belly rub. Nothing makes me feel more relaxed. I